Welcome, friends, to Season 2, Episode 4 of Happy to Fail, the podcast where we empower communities by learning from our past, by having the conversations that, more often than not, we are so afraid to have because what if somebody devalues that process for us? In a previous episode, we talked about how minimizing can impact, can affect our mental health when somebody invalidates those emotions that we finally open up and that does have a long-term effect, which can lead to trauma. And when you talk about that conversation, that topic of trauma, it is a very dense word, right? Just think about that, trauma. And it is one thing to identify the trauma, but to begin healing from it, to understand that I wanna live a happy, healthy, and productive life, but to see that, to get to that point, we have to go through this entire process that can be very scary, very frightening. So with yours truly, Juan Velas Court from Puerto Rico, we are gonna be having that conversation. And I have with me my great friend from Connecticut, Ana Conde, who is a therapist. And I mentioned that her and I, we had this conversation about minimizing, which inevitably leads to this topic of trauma. But when it comes to the first topic, what did you think about that? Minimizing is one of the things that I think we were able to identify early on um, when we were talking about doing this podcast as something that we've both experienced slash have worked with in some way, shape or form. So I'm definitely very excited to jump right in. Something that I love about having these conversations is that sometimes you don't know where they're going to go. Initially, uh, this episode was going to be about connecting with a therapist, connecting with my therapist when you identify what you want to be able to, to overcome and it's time to have that professional support, but it can be so frightening, right? To have those conversations with a professional resource. But then we realize that even before we actually get to that point, having that honest conversation with ourselves about identifying something from our past that has affected us can be very frightening, right? Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's also important to know that I'm kind of speaking from the therapist point right now, but even in general, like we oftentimes don't necessarily validate something as minimizing because we're used to it. You know, it can either be cultural, it can be within the family dynamic, and it's really hard to identify like, oh, wait, this is something that's actually impacting me and hurting me just because of the nature of, you know, what minimizing is. When you invalidate, when you say like, hey, you're saying this is a problem, I'm telling you it's not. Right. But that doesn't, that doesn't make us feel any better. So what happens when, for example, somebody says, hey, you can't eventually go see a psychologist, you can't seek professional help to begin healing from these things. But from your experience, uh, you know, both personal and professionally, how difficult it is to even just begin to have the conversation about healing from trauma and what trauma actually is. So the American Psychological Association defines it as an emotional response to a terrible event. And I think that's a pretty basic, realistic definition, because I find that oftentimes people think that trauma can only mean physical, sexual abuse, um, you know, interpersonal violence, um, that the more, quote unquote, I don't want to say stereotypical, but I think what people more typically associate with trauma. Um, and trauma can really be anything that you had a significantly difficult time with. And it can also be vicarious trauma, meaning that, you know, you can experience trauma through somebody else's experience. Um, so, you know, with like car crashes or, you know, we've seen this with kind of, um, well, I haven't seen it firsthand to be quite honest, but I, you know, in speaking with colleagues, um, something that's pretty common with uh, veterans, you know, like it's, they see something and they live that and vicariously they've experienced that trauma. So it's an emotional response to an, an event that significantly impacts your life. 
And to me, the, the first example I thought of is actually not, you know, going all the way back to my youth or adolescence or anything like that. It's actually with Hurricane Maria. So uh, this happened, uh, I want to say like two, three months afterwards, like we just got power. It was one of those days, but then power went out, which was very common here in Puerto Rico. I go outside, it was raining and my body started shaking. And I've been involved in the mental health world for so many years. So like, I'm not even realizing like, Juan, this is happening to you. You know that thing that you talk about, like trauma, post-traumatic stress, like all these things, like my body started shaking. I started sweating cold. I was thinking about that very first night that I that I slept uh, at the outside of her home. Like I actually put up a hammock and that's where I slept for a week after Maria because the it was so hot inside her home, right? We didn't have a generator or anything like that. And it's the emotional component of, yeah, sure, I was shaking and all that, but the thoughts that were in my head, it took me a long time. I want to say it took me like a year for it to like rain and not have me go down this dark tunnel of it's, this is going to happen. That's going to happen. Remember when this happened a couple of weeks ago? And that's an extreme example, but trauma doesn't have to be that complicated like a hurricane, right? And actually, I, I think bringing up Hurricane Maria allows us to also be able to talk about how people experience the one event differently. And I'm very, for a very long time, I was really hesitant to identify I wouldn't necessarily say that I was traumatized by Hurricane Maria, but I do think that those of us who lived it, you know, outside of Puerto Rico and primarily having family back home, we still experience very strong emotional responses to a a negative event. Um, So I'm in no way comparing them, but I think, you know, we, everyone had their own experience with Hurricane Maria. I, I wasn't there, neither was my husband. I remember I was able to reached my parents pretty consistently and I'm eternally grateful for that. Um, but my husband wasn't able to reach his, you know, his mom for a month. And I, even afterwards, like just, you know, with everything that's been going on over the last um, couple of months, when my dad told me that he um, was making a line to go into Costco, I was like, even I had a reaction to it and I wasn't there. I didn't make lines. I didn't live, you know, here we came Maria in person. So I think it's, it also helps us kind of see how the one event can, in very different ways, bring up emotional response and connect us in a certain way as, you know, as people. Exactly. And I think one of the biggest challenges of trauma, both with the example I provided and also thinking about my my physical and emotional abuse from one of my family members growing up, is that when you begin, at least in my case, obviously, because this is a very like intimate conversation, in my case, the moment that I began feeling better, I thought to myself, oh, I'm good. Like, this is not a problem for me. Like, I'm over it. Hey, that was the thing of the past. But then a date comes up, an event comes up, or then you see the person. I remember when I was uh, hospitalized in Wisconsin for three months, I had to seek a lot of behavior therapy because just seeing a picture of a family member would be incredibly triggering for me. But even before that, I was like, that doesn't affect me. But then you show the picture and I entered in panic mode. I began crying furiously. I began getting just so infuriating. Why do you think it's so difficult for us to just be able to, it's not about getting over it. It's that recognizing that it's okay for it to affect you. The, The problem is obviously seeking help, but why is it so difficult for us as human beings to just be like, let's, let's, let's sit with this for a couple of minutes and recognize that it did or can affect us. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, the answer also kind of ties back to what you asked me previously, even though I kind of went on a tangent about Maria, about, you know, experiencing trauma. And a big part of it, in my experience, has also been kind of, again, 
what people often think trauma is. And, and in a way, we kind of invalidate ourselves. So anything from like a very challenging relationship with a parent can be can, you know, lead to a series of traumatic responses and symptoms of PTSD, such as flashbacks and, and you know, everything else. Nightmares is, is a very common one as well. What we can do at its core, I believe, is recognizing things without necessarily having to label them as trauma. Because I, I feel that oftentimes if we are very, it depends on, on how you are as a person, but, you know, I think if, if you're the type of person that is very analytical and, you know, A plus B equals C, maybe I should have used numbers for that example instead of letters. So you don't want <laughs> no worries, one yeah. plus one equals two. You know, if that's a way of processing, it can be very hard to fit a certain event into the trauma box. So bullying in school, uh, a negative experience in a hospital, all of those things, you know, if, if we take away, if we take away the, the trauma label and we focus on the fact that these were events or situations that led to long-term emotional responses, you know, that within of itself can be considered trauma. And I think that could potentially be a little bit more of a humane way of approaching it so that it's also easier for ourselves to be able to recognize like, hey, I went through a very difficult thing. And if throughout the process, you know, identifying it as trauma is helpful in the sense of healing and being able to name it and validate that experience for what it was, then that's great. And that's part of what, you know, any therapeutic process can be. Um, or even, you know, a supportive conversation with a friend, you know, but um, I think that would be my my train of thought with regards to how can we recognize it? How can we do something before we start doing something, you know? No, and I love that you brought that up because obviously you and I in different phases and, and ways, we have access to knowledge that a lot of people don't have. And what I mean by that is we sometimes can't help but like bring up trauma-informed care, cognitive <laughs> behavioral therapy, like all of these things. And look, like you come from a clinical background. I don't. Like I learned all of that because of my road to recovery, because my psychologist, my psychiatrist educated me. And that's awesome. But I don't remember anybody as a kid telling me, Juan, like, are you suffering from trauma? I remember somebody asking me, how does this make me feel? The, the moment that we had a restraining order against somebody in particular, so the person cannot get close to me, like what was asked is, how do you feel when, you know, we bring up this person's name? That was their way of identifying, okay, something is clearly happening. So something that helped me begin this healing process with trauma wasn't talking about trauma. It was always just envisioning, when I see this person, when I see this place, how does this make me feel? Do I feel happy? Do I feel concerned? Do I feel scared? And any time that I felt scared, like in my case, you brought up bullying, great example. I was bullied for so long that any any location with more than 20 people would be incredibly triggering for me. And I would just immediately, I feel like uh, you sprayed me with a water hose because I would begin sweating so profusely because of that. And my healing process began saying, I don't, that I do not want that to be my reaction anymore. That cannot define Juan is a human being because Juan wants to work, Juan wants to thrive and be successful. But realizing that I have this, I'm carrying this heavy backpack that's not allowing me to climb this mountain sooner rather than later, I want to be the one to take charge of this. Because you could, you could as a therapist tell me, hey, it's important to heal from this, but if it doesn't come from within, right? If I'm not feeling it, it can be very challenging. Yeah. And, you know, there's only so much that you can actually do in 
a one hour session. You know, I, I've always been very forthcoming about that because I, 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 it hurts me as, as a person, I think more so when people kind of go into therapy with these unbelievably high expectations. And it's not that you can't work through trauma. I mean, that is quite literally part of what we're there for. Um, especially, um, you know, my training is very trauma informed. So that's a lot of what I've worked with. Um, so certainly that's what we want, you know, that's what the space is there for. That's what we are trained to do. And we are more than happy to go on that healing journey with you. But a big part of it, like you're saying is, you know, how can we talk about what's in your backpack together? How can we work to process that together? Maybe get rid of some, some of those rocks in here, but also work to process and be able to heal in a way that whenever you feel that the backpack might be getting a little bit heavy on you, that you're also able to utilize strategies to be able to relieve some of that emotional and frankly, physical pain that can sometimes come with a, a trauma reactive response and without necessarily having the therapist there because we aren't always there. And that's a big part of, of what, you know, is needed to do in, in any session, whether that's, you know, in an inpatient or outpatient level of care. And I think that example you brought up that sometimes people have the unrealistic expectation that in that one hour session, everything is good. I think we can apply that to almost like any situation in life where we have some kind of pain, right? I have a back problem. You're my doctor. I'm going with you. And you better get rid of that. You have one hour, if not 15 minutes. And if you don't fix that, I don't like you as a doctor. I'm going to go get another one. I remember a lot of times my mother, my wife, and I facilitated multiple support groups. And more often than not, the anecdotes from people were, I went to the psychologist. I didn't like her because she didn't make me feel better. And then the problem is once you begin really dwelling in, the person was expecting, here's the problem, here's the solution. It's kind of like you mentioned, like the one plus one equals two. Yeah. It's not that easy because ideally that would be amazing, right? Oh my hey, God. here's what your trauma, <laughs> here's the solution. Not one hour, let's just take like 30 minutes where we're going to be out. But this is what I had to tell myself, right? I mentioned in the previous episode with you that some of the stuff that I healed from happened when I was 10. And I began healing when I was 19, 20. So it is unrealistic for me. I can never speak about anybody else. Unrealistic from my perspective to heal in one hour, a decade old, just like a soup of trauma that was boiling and boiling. And we, we kept adding more ingredients and more ingredients. So what can happen or, or what could be a, like a really good strategy for somebody that has gone for so much trauma for so many years and they find out like, hey, this is good. This is going to take some time. This is not a 30-minute, one-hour thing. What can be said or what thought process can we have so people just understand like, this is not a race. We got to pace ourselves. Because I think I've worked so much with adolescents, I, I have a very kind of casual approach in therapy. And I, I, I kind of had to be that way because I remember having kids in, on the unit that would with the best intentions of wanting to heal and kind of leave some parts of, of what they've been through in the hospital, they'd be like, okay, I want to talk about my trauma. And I'd be like, okay, be like, well, the floor is yours, you know, whatever you want to talk about, you know, whatever. It was always interesting to me, like they would say like the trauma, like if it was like a single event, when in reality for a lot of people, unfortunately, it's a shame of events that have led them to kind of that point in their life. And being very realistic of what do I hope to get out of therapy? And I think that's a question that you don't need to wait. And again, we're talking specifically about therapy, but you don't need to wait for a therapist to ask you that. Always kind of have that in the back of your mind. What do I hope to get from this? 
Because if you're able to answer that question, even if it is very short-lived, like I hope to get from this being able to connect with someone so that I can then talk about whatever it is that happened to me or is currently happening to me. You know, you mentioned earlier um, a lot about your childhood. You know, one of the other things that we also struggle with is, you know, what happens when these things come up later on in life, but also what happens when, let's say, you're still in contact for whatever reason with a person who caused you a significant amount of harm. How does the healing process look like if you still have a certain level of interaction with that person? Um, But kind of getting back to the question, you know, I think really that the first step that we can do is identify for ourselves what is the goal that I have? And if you're, if you want to discuss that with your therapist, by all means, we're there. Um, I'm just, I always encourage people to answer that question themselves, even if it takes an entire session, because it shouldn't be my answer. I am not the one who, as a therapist, I am not the one who experienced whatever it is that you experienced. And even if you feel, you know, I, I think people oftentimes feel that in therapy, there's a right or wrong answer to certain questions. And I think that's just kind of automatically where our brain goes to, and that's fine. But taking a little bit of that pressure off of yourself, like you basically be kind to yourself, be, give yourself grace, you know, like you've already been through so much. Don't expect, like you said, you know, to be able to recover from 10 years of abuse in four to six weeks. Are there, you know, techniques that you can learn in that period of time? Yeah, especially if you're taking like a very traditional behavioral approach to it. I think, you know, if anybody Googles like trauma treatment, a lot of what comes up is cognitive behavioral therapy. And that's a very, um, I don't want to say guided, but it's, it's, it's a little bit of a, like a, cause I don't want to, I don't want to paint it as like, it's a workbook of, of, of techniques, but it's a little bit more structured. It doesn't have to be that way. You know, I, I think be kind with yourselves and, and recognize that everyone will go at, at their own pace and it's not linear. I think, and that's true for trauma. That's true for anything. Recovery is not linear. And if we're able to kind of at least be aware of that, I think sort of starting off can be a little bit more, you know, forgiving for, for ourselves. No, And I can resonate with so many of the things that you brought up because for example, uh, I owe my life thanks to cognitive behavioral therapy. When I was hospitalized, that's what was really beneficial with me in my obsessive compulsive disorder. But the my my trauma stemmed from living with mental illness for so many years, but then also being bullied at school, being told by by an education system that there's no place for me, and me seeing that as a child, right? I was misplaced. So it like I was like a preteen. I was taking classes about sex ed with 18 to 20 year olds that had no relation with me whatsoever. I was, I felt like I was being hot potatoed. So by the time I got to you, for example, I'd be like, what, well, what's Anna going to tell me now? Right. Like you're the 10th person to say that I'm the problem, that I got a mental thing. Something that helped me is that for so long, everybody was telling me. I remember when I graduated high school, the first thing I told my counselor, I was uh, under uh, voc rehab. I told my counselor, uh, my counselor, I need three months. I need three months of not speaking to a damn person because I am tired of speaking to people. I want to talk to this guy right here. And I remember I would go to two specific parks almost every day and literally do nothing, Anna. It was just a matter of like, I need to get to know me and understand what I want. Because I had that experience. I had a psychologist tell me, hey, this is what X and Y and Z is. And I was like, that's not making me feel any better because I was so I was so dishonest with myself that you could give me the perfect solution to my problems and it would not have mattered. But then when I began to see 
that everything around me was moving, but I was staying still, I realized I got to make a change. But the person that realized it is this guy right here. So when I began to speak my therapist with my therapist afterwards, the conversation was, wasn't, I have a problem that you got to fix, is that I know this is my problem, this is what I want to get to, and now your conversation with me, I want us to get to that finish line together, and you're one of the multiple resources that I have, because there I have my therapist, I also had my support group, I was learning about mindfulness, I was going to the gym, I was engaging in social activities, failing horribly, and it was super awkward, but I was still doing it. I was uh, trying to develop friendships, so it wasn't just like a one-stop shop, and in hindsight, it's very easy to talk about all these things, but right. they were very difficult. But healing from trauma be, came for me there from recognizing that I was able to do a lot of the things, even if I didn't do them as I would have liked, because I'm very critical, right? But the fact that I was able to even attempt these things, let me know, you can heal from this. You just got to keep on carrying forward. Oh, absolutely. And, and two things that I wanted that I want to say, you know, one of them is, as with anything, and I don't want to get too technical, but there are the stages of stages of change, sorry, within like psychotherapy theory, theory, which identifies kind of where a person is at. And they range from, you know, totally denying that anything is happening versus the last stage, which is kind of working towards a place of recovery. And those stages of change are not necessarily linear. Like you can be and, and they, they kind of, they're written out to be like, you know, the first kind of takes, you know, zero to three months. And then it kind of, you know, um, when you're in the stage of change, you're actively ready to start making those changes within the next couple of weeks. But, you know, I do think that it's, this is non-technical. This is just my opinion. <laughs> I really do think that because life can be so unpredictable, you can go back. Like you can be very ready to make a change. And all of a sudden you might realize like, oh, wait, like, I'm doing this because the counselor at Vogue Rehab told me to do it. And I, you know, no, now I don't want to do it. That's okay. Like, it's okay to take a step back. And I think, you know, that links into my my second part of, that I wanted to comment on is I am such a firm believer of taking breaks in therapy. Like I, if I could go back in time, not that I would want to, but <laughs> I would probably like do my dissertation about this because I truly feel like it's such an unspoken about technique slash resource for people. I'm currently taking a break from, from my therapist. I was in therapy for two years going twice a month. And um, so every other week. And at the beginning of this year, actually I took a break last year, shortly after I miscarried. So I quickly went back, thankfully. And um, that was so healing for me. But, you know, at the beginning of this year, I, I told them, I was like, you know, Dr. So-and-so, I'm like, I feel like I'm just kind of talking about the same things. And I feel that a lot of what I still need to work on because of the way it's kind of just, you know, um, engraved in my brain right now, like I've gotten as close to it as I could. I like, I think I need a break and come back later. And he was like, yeah, absolutely. Take a break, come back in the fall. I think you're in a good place. Now, mind you, I do want to say, and I maybe should have led with this, but it's very different. You know, we're talking about a non high risk case, for example. So, you know, if you're actively struggling with suicidality, I wouldn't necessarily say, okay, let's take a break. I'm, you know, kind of thinking more so in the long term, or if early on, like it's, it's something that can be very overwhelming, you know, maybe it doesn't have to be a, a long break. It can be a couple of weeks. When I worked in outpatient, I remember working with a patient really for an extended period of time to kind of overcome the anxiety of applying for a job. 
and they ended up getting a job. And so adding therapy session to talk about the anxiety was going to be worse for, for them. So we actually spaced it out for, I think it was like five, five weeks or so. So little breaks here and there, if you're at a place where you're able to manage them and there's no um, significant level of risk with you being able to do that, I think that's great. You know, it gives you a chance, like you said, to go at a park and do nothing or just be or live through new experiences that you can then kind of work with. So I think if, if you're able to do that and you're able to recognize that this might be helpful, absolutely be very vocal about it. And if you are someone, though, who has struggled with either self-harm, suicidal ideation, suicidal attempt, anything like that, then just make sure you have a solid safety plan that both you and your therapist, you know, feel comfortable with and agree on. And if, you know, preferably so, if you have someone of support, whether it's a partner, a parent, a family member, a good friend, I think all of those things can kind of add to a, a safe break, so to speak, from therapy. No, and thank you for sharing that, because in my case, I, I took a two different types of breaks with my therapist. One of them, kind of like you mentioned, is more non-risk. It was in my case of, I want to be able to see how Juan sort of holds up in real life, right? Just sort of take a break. But specifically when I was 14, that was when I was under severe depression, uh, suicidal idea. I I was uh, almost hospitalized, like just everything that you can imagine it was happening there. I remember when I spoke to my therapist and I and I told him, you know, like, keep in mind, I, I have been seeing therapists since I was like, what, seven, eight years old. I just told him one day, look, I'm, I'm tired of talking about this mental health crap. And that's exactly how I told him. It's like, I would like for us to just talk about literally anything because you're the only person that can talk to me back. I took this different kind of break with him where it's like, look, I realize that I I have made attempts against my life. So I know that it's not going to be like, hey, I'll see you in a month. I know that's not the realistic scenario, but it meant so much to me that he actually took what I said, and for the following sessions, we just talked about other topics. Like, we began watching movies. Like, I would watch a movie at home, and then we would discuss that, but I was like, for an entire hour, I didn't talk about my severe depression. I didn't talk about this, and eventually... I felt so comfortable getting into real conversations and I share things with my therapist that I never had before because I actually felt comfortable. And, you know, you and I are going to have a dedicated episode about specifically this, which is how can we connect with the therapist and vice versa. But when it comes to this topic of beginning to heal from trauma, imagine this as a car and imagine you're in a road. You're going to have situations where you got to fuel up. You're going to have situations where you're going to have to take a detour so you can have lunch It's never going to be this perfect scenario where you're going to be driving nonstop. There's the final destination. There can be a hurdle. There can be, uh, uh, you know, just a bunch of things happening and you got to find a completely alternate route. And I think that what really helped me begin to heal from trauma is just recognizing that, look, as weird as it may seem, what really motivated me is that I'm alive. The opposite of being alive is something that I don't want to see happen again in my life or even contemplate. So even the most uncomfortable days, I was alive. And most importantly, I was making progress. Even if it was uncomfortable, even if it meant recognizing that we're talking about very uncomfortable things from my past that maybe I had never shared with anybody, I was alive and I was beginning to live. And I think those are two very different things because what really motivated me to begin healing from trauma is that I am tired of having a heartbeat, but not having a purpose. And by healing from trauma, I realized that Yeah, I'm alive, 
but I can begin to live. I can begin to have relationships and not be afraid to lose them because I'm the mental patient, as everybody used to refer to me as. So how, do you, how important do you think that shift is between physically being alive and emotionally having a life, right? How important do you think that is for that in, in initial road of healing from trauma? You know, I think it's it's definitely essential. I do think that you don't necessarily are able to see it if you are in a very difficult place. Like if you are recently coming out of a very traumatic experience, it might be very difficult to see that. And that's where we come in. Like you are not going through that alone. Even if we didn't experience the same trauma as you, because quite frankly, nobody did. Even if two people, let's say, were traumatized by the same person, their experiences were still different. Um, our goal is to be able to walk with a patient. And, and I say patient, and I excuse myself for those you know who might have thoughts on it. I've worked the majority of my um, professional life in hospital setting. So I'm used to saying the word patient, um, you know, working with this person in their healing journey and, and getting them towards a life worth living, whether that looks, you know, like something super active or whether that is being able to recognize a suicidal ideation and not acting on it in the span of a minute, you know, a life worth living looks very different through the different stages of recovery. And I think that's, you know, it's, it's very important. Absolutely. And it's, I, I want to say crucial, but I, I also don't want to necessarily say crucial and put that pressure on, on, on somebody else of like, Oh, I need to be in, in Juan's mindset before I go into therapy, you know? Um, because that's definitely part of it and part of what we're there to support anybody and kind of going through and experiencing. You know, everybody says recovery is individual, but it's true. Uh, that's why every time I say something, it's like, it's my experience. You know, we've gone uh, to many support groups where people go there desperately and understandably so, right? People are exhausted. This is a very exhausting process. And they want to, in many ways, emulate what you did, because if it worked for you, it's going to work for me. Where the conversation is, look, may, maybe some of this can help you, or maybe some of this can benefit you. But at the same time, if it doesn't, it can be very frustrating. That's why what you know you and I have mentioned, the importance of space. I think if there's just like one thing that can be that incredible takeaway is don't be afraid to just take that time for yourself and and get to know where you came from, where you want to go, what are those obstacles? Because as you mentioned, you don't need to wait to see a therapist to be able to have that internal dialogue with yourself. If anything, that strengthens the bond with your therapist, with your family member, with anybody that you feel like in some way, by speaking with them, you feel better because it's coming from you. Yeah. I think we are so tired sometimes of having people tell us what's our problem when we're able to identify that ourselves the conversation shifts from here's my problem and here's where maybe you fit in into the possible solution. Oh, absolutely. And this, I feel, circles back so well into minimizing, which is where we started. Because oftentimes, you know, we were at that place because we've been told repeatedly like, oh, you know, that doesn't really matter or so-and-so has it worse or so-and-so has this sickness, like you should be thankful that you're even alive, you know, like, we've been so trained, I'm hopeful that it's generational. Um, you know, I think, you know, there's more awareness right now of, of emotions and the importance of being able to express those and being validating. But the, you know, the sad reality is that a lot of us have been raised 
to minimize our emotions. You know, I, I remember I would, I'm a very sentimental person. I would sometimes cry. My mom would be like, well, what do you have to cry about? Like, literally you have nothing to cry about. You have a house, you know, you're, you know, we've given you everything, blah, 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 blah. And then I'm like, well, you know, you survived communist Cuba. I guess I don't have anything to complain about. And so, you know, being able to have that internal dialogue that it's also okay that it's very difficult for me to recognize this as something hard because I was told for a long time that my feelings weren't valid, that as a boy, I shouldn't show emotions, you know, that other people had it worse. And sometimes that's even within your own house. You know, like I've had, I've worked with, um, with kids who have a sibling who are very medically compromised and they feel that because they're not, you know, sick in that way, that their feelings aren't valid. Um, so I, I I definitely agree with you. I think that internal process, internal dialogue, sorry, is important to help build relationships with with a lot of people, but quite frankly, with ourselves. And I think that can be the very first step towards seeing where can this healing journey take me. You know, and yeah, <laughs> that's that's my TED talk. <laughs> yeah, this is the topic, right? We could easily talk for, uh, talk about this for years because, as you mentioned. You know, I'm speaking from a place where, thankfully, I had a supportive mother, but I don't know what everybody else's home or community looks like, so it's very easy for me to say, here's the five steps, right? Like, here's step number one, figure out this specific area, but what if you don't have that, right? So that's why if there's just one takeaway that I can't stress enough that I've seen not be just beneficial for myself, but for many people is find that that space, whatever that space is for you, and have slow but sure and safe conversations with that person right there in front of the mirror. And don't be afraid to recognize that your past doesn't have to define your future. That helped me so much. That's helped out so many people. So if anybody wants to reach out to us, you can do so. Uh, Happy to Fail on Facebook. That's the best way to to engage with us. Full episodes available there, as well as uh, Spotify, Stitcher. You can leave a five-star review on the ones that allow so. And if there's just one thing that I can request is if you know somebody in your family, co-workers, community that can benefit from these episodes, please share them with them because that's what this is all about. We just want to be able to not tell you how to do something, but for all of us together as a community to get a conversation going that you can take with your family, with your local resources. So any closing comments, Anna? Quite frankly, yes, I do have more comments, but I'm sure that we can circle back to them at another time. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That's the difficult part because when the conversation's good, you just want to keep on going and going. And the conversation will continue because everybody, remember, new episode available every single Monday. Next Monday, I'm going to be sitting down here with all of you having another great episode. And then the week afterwards, Anna and I will be back here to have that healing conversation about connecting with a therapist. So up until next time, thank you for listening and take care, everybody.